Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're so glad you've joined us today for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a five-week series entitled Guardrails. In this series, we're discovering how many of the regrets we have or will have can be avoided simply by establishing personal guardrails. Dr. Kelly is covering the most relevant topics like friendship, marriage, finances, and career. Now here's Dr. Kelly with today's message. Everybody say jumbo. 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 You just spoke Swahili. Swahili. African Swahili for hey. For hey, okay? Everybody say bono asafio. Again, bono asafio. You just said praise the Lord. Everybody say karibo. Again, loud, strong, karibo. Welcome. Welcome to New Hope Church. We are glad you are here, every single one of you. I want to look into that camera. I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome North Raleigh. I want to welcome Columbia. Give it up for our two newest campuses. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys. I want to give it up for Garner and Sanford. Welcome those folks into the ministry of New Hope Church. NCCIW, Daughters of the King. We love you ladies over there in Raleigh. Coffee House community, internet, campus. Come on. Welcome our brand new New Hope Nairobi campus right here. Welcome them. We love you guys. We love you guys. Met with their core visionary team and I'm telling you, it is an incredible staff. They already have two co-pastors, pastors Joshua and Azik. They have an incredible children's pastor called Peter. They have an incredible, not the ministry called Peter. Peter is the children's pastor. (laughs) God's student ministry pastors, Moses and Ruth. And Frank is their worship arts pastor. We met with them. I taught them. I was, they were so dialed in. They're so excited. And I'm telling you guys, God is going to do a great work in New Hope, Nairobi. I want to, I want to share a story with you, but I, I I just don't want to use much time today. I will share it probably next week. We saw God's hand move in one of the most miraculous ways I've ever seen in 26 years of following Christ. Right there on the campus where the church is going to be, we prayed, God showed up, moved a big old mountain, and it was a miracle and I, I now you want to know <laughs> come back next week how about that come back next week i'll share more about that um just an incredible incredible campus did i get all my campuses i don't know television community all of those whoever wherever you are welcome we love you guys we're so glad you're a part of this church talking about next week don't miss it god has laid a special word on my heart for guardrails next sunday then the following sunday The following Sunday, which I think is the 23rd, we are going to have Holy Communion right here. Very special time. Anytime we can celebrate Holy Communion together, that is going to be March 23rd. And then on March 30th, are you listening? Everybody say Karubu. Karubu. Here we go. I am going to kick off a brand new series called The Voice. The Voice. How many of you watched The Voice? The show. Yeah, I thought a lot of you. It's awesome. It is awesome. I love that show. But we're going to be doing a series called The Voice. And we're going to be going after learning how to hear God's voice in a world of many voices. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. And that's going to take us straight into the Easter season throughout April. But isn't it great to be getting into spring? Who's ready for spring? Oh, oh, the global warming has been killing us this year. Um, 
Ooh, I just said that. I just said that. Hold your emails. Please don't send your emails about that. Um, because I understand all of this stuff and I know we gotta, we gotta take care of the planet. Amen? We gotta take care of the planet. We, we gotta take care of the planet. Because God gave us the planet. And we need to steward over the planet. Amen? But learn how to, to ground yourself in a biblical worldview instead of myths of the day. Hello. Um, um, anyway, I, I, you want to send me an email? I know you do. Some of you, you just raise your hand. You want to send me an email. All right, get out your pen and write down this email address. Ready? Benji at I don't give a flip dot com. If you're upset right now, hey, I love you. We're just having fun. Amen. It's all good. I'm kidding. It's it, don't get your underwear starched. Relax a little bit. Um, we're so glad you're here. Hey, um, we're so glad you're here. This is what happens when I stay away a couple weeks. I just come, it's, it's, it's unplugged. Um, my new friend, Maurice Claret. Love this brother. Love this brother. Love this brother. Here's how it went down. I'm sitting in my recliner at my house on Christmas. I, Maurice, I think it was Christmas. It couldn't have been Christmas Eve because we had services, but it was somewhere right around Christmas Eve. And I was watching ESPN and the 30 for 30 came on. If you haven't seen this, it is incredible. And I watched this thing and I was so moved. Tears started coming down my face. And I was just so gripped by this story that I picked up my phone and I just tweeted about it. And I tweeted about my brother. And I didn't expect, he, he tweeted me back. And, and, and kind, you know, kind of gave a word or two back to me. And right then I just knew, man, we got to get this guy at New Hope Church. And lo and behold, it was such a big success on ESPN. One of the biggest 30 for 30s they've ever done. They started re-showing it. So I saw it again, and lo and behold, I was like, we got to get this guy. And uh, my assistant got in touch with his assistant, and here we are today, a few months later. I'm so excited. I want you to give it up for, listen, his wife, Ashley, his uh, kids, Jaden and Raven, and his, uh, not all his kids, I know I just messed it up a little bit, and his assistant, Richard. Give it up for Richard. We're so glad. All of you are here. Watch this video. And you just welcomed him already. But listen, I want you to really give it up for him after this video. Some of you have seen this, but I thought it would set the context, the frame, for where we are going today. When this is done, give him the typical warm New Hope welcome. Here we go. Ohio State today submitted a self-report to the NCAA outlining violations of Bylaw 12, amateurism, and Bylaw 10, ethical conduct. Maurice Claret will not be eligible to practice for or compete in any football games during the 2003 regular and postseason competition. Happening in Columbus is a major issue. Maurice Claret is a young man without a lot of respect. He sold out everybody at Ohio State. He sold out the program. He's selfish. Anticipating severe NCAA sanctions and with a slow drip of negative news stories about the culture of Ohio State football. I always said that this is a very difficult place to be a college football player. Expectations, visibility. So many people want to be around them. Anytime we don't succeed, you know, it's disappointing. Head coach Jim Trestle under pressure at Ohio State amid the controversy. I think everybody's so focused on the game that they don't care about what's going on. There's really no way for the Ohio State University to recover from the damage to its public image. In this. We've been a senator and the beast of the Youngstown legend. Please, 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 please
ties to drug trafficking. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Maurice Claret. I love to hug this guy because when I hug him, I get to know and experience what I'm praying God will give me when I get to heaven. <laughs> His biceps as big as my thigh. I mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. It was a bad thing this morning, though. Huh? Oh, so the lady, uh, it, it was so funny. The lady, she had took my shirt in when I wasn't working out so much. And then I put my shirt on this morning. It really didn't fit right. After so, working out. No, so I had to put my jacket on so I wouldn't see my small shirt. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a tough problem to have, right? <laughs> I'll buy you a shirt. Let's get you a bigger one today. <laughs> he got up at like, I was talking to him earlier today. He got up at 4 o'clock this morning went to the gym and uh, at the hotel that, that they're staying in. And uh, that's what it takes. Amen? Yeah, every takes. day, yes. Discipline. I got your wristband on, man. I'd love okay. this thing. It says, different day, same discipline. Different day, same discipline. I'll go over some of his resources a little bit later that you might want to pick up in, outside in the rotunda. But let's just jump right in, man. And you're amongst friends. I've told you this, and it is true. There, there's no friendlier community than, than the New Hope Church. They really, really treat guests and guest speakers with the utmost respect. So let's just have a conversation today and talk about... Um, your life and your story and how your story connected with God's story. I mean, as you, if you, as you saw that ESPN clip, and by the way, his world totally changed after ESPN started running that. His Twitter followers went from 12,000 to over 60,000 like that. Um, so, but as you watch that and you see all that unfold, I can only imagine um, the emotions that you start to feel and reflecting back and all of that. Why don't you just... Talk to us about your story, where you grew up, and football, and any factors that you'd want to talk to us about in terms of coming up in Ohio, Youngstown. <laughs> and uh, so, just talk to us a little bit about that, man. Your story and and, and all yeah. of it. Yes, yeah, so I'm the first from the uh, from Youngstown, Ohio, so northeastern part of Ohio, about probably about an hour outside of Cleveland. And I uh, grew up the youngest of uh, three boys. Uh, I grew up probably till I was about 10 years old, my grandmother. And it had to be about, about 10 or 11 of us all in the house and just pretty much running around just being inner city kids. Uh, so for the most part, my older cousins would kind of set standard on how you're supposed to behave. Mm. You know, my older cousins played football, so I wanted to be in football. They would, uh, they gave me the mindset that, you know, when you were cool and you were a young kid or art to be cool, you had to display a level of ignorance. You know, so you had to be breaking in houses or trying to steal cars or trying to display things like that to kind of uh, solidify your manhood. And so, mm. yeah, so throughout that, throughout the process of me growing up, I was always trying to, um, trying to behave in a way that would have give me respect amongst my friends. You know, when I was, in, when I was younger, uh, I got incarcerated three times from breaking the houses, stealing cars, and eventually getting into fights. But amongst my friends, I was the most popular. You know, I was, wow. I was the most popular guy. 
and uh, and this thing kind of led on to about the age of 12. But simultaneously, I was all, I was also playing football at the same time, and it was about my uh, it was the third time when I got arrested. And I was about to go to the youth the youth authority throughout the state, and uh, the guy from the film, uh, Mr. Roland Smith, he kind of came in and stepped in and uh, basically saved my life. And he had been the first responsible man that I had met up to that point. Like I had different guys who would uh. Uh, just just different guys in the neighborhood who would help guide me, uh, but all in the wrong direction. You know, like my older brother, he was selling drugs and, uh, and into the streets, but he was just basically a product of the environment. You know, so my older cousins were pretty much the same thing. These guys were just products of the environment. And then it was uh, it was about 12, uh, 12 years old. I was about to get sent up to the, to the youth authority, and uh, Mr. Roland Smith had plugged into my life. And that was the first time where he took me to go lift weights. He took me to uh, just some Bible studies that he would have with uh, just some of the young men. Uh, and when I would go to the high school weight room, I just became uh, I just became in love with lifting weights and working out and running and things like that. And so that had been the time where I, where I had initially uh, kind of got back on track after being off track for so many years or being introduced to, uh, just, to just basically something new. Mm. And Roland Smith was his name. Yeah, Mr. It, Roland was Smith. he just somebody in your community? No, he, he was a, he was the correctional officer at the juvenile facility. So wow, I was sleep. It was two o'clock in the morning, and he came by and he just kind of kicked my mat and he said, "Man, what you doing back down here?" But he was also a junior high football coach, and he would he would see me play junior high football, and so he would see me have success on the football field, but he would also see me throw my life away. Mm. And so when I'm inside, uh, when, I, when I when I get inside the facility, he goes to the judge and he asks the judge, like, "Hey, if I bring Maurice uh, with me for the summertime to kind of mentor him and kind of uh, put him in a new situation, a new environment." Would you uh, would you not send him away? So the judge agreed to it, and eventually, eventually they allowed me to uh, stay with Mr. Roland Smith. But the agreement was that you can't go to inner, any to any inner city neighborhood. Mm. And so I didn't go to uh, inner inner city high school or not neighborhood uh, high school. I didn't go to any inner city high school, and I went to the suburbs. So it was a change of environment, and uh, just like with any kid, like sometimes when you change the environment and you change the expectations and you change just the mentality, you know, send the sort of life change. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, you know, I didn't realize that I was. Uh, uh, very talented in football. So when I went out to uh, the suburban community, uh, I was always good or decent academics. So I really didn't have uh, a problem doing me when I was in the inner city schools. Uh, you know, I was blessed from, uh, blessed from uh, with knowledge from my mother. Uh, but you know, uh, I started to succeed on the football field, and when I started to succeed, I started to realize I can take it somewhere. I can get outside my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So. I became driven just throughout my ninth grade year just to become a better football player. So I started having success on the uh, varsity football team as a freshman. Uh, then at the same time, there was a school across town, maybe 30 minutes away, who were sending guys to, you know, your major universities, the Miamis, the USC's, the Texas, and all the major universities. So I, I made a decision at that point. I said, hey, I'm good, but the level of competition isn't that good. Mm. How about if I go to the other side of town and try my, uh, try my luck over here? So when I, went, uh, when I went to the other side of town, it was pretty much the same thing, being shepherded to the same type of people very structured uh we had to be at study table at seven in the morning i was weight lifted and things just started to roll from there um excuse me so in ohio football's big just like basketball's huge here and uh yeah (laughs) i wasn't gonna bring it up like really tweet one time about it last night <laughs> wasn't gonna bring it up i'm still not gonna bring it up good job <laughs> um, hey can we i want to stop for just a moment because i want to i want you to camp out on something you you talked about um roland being a male figure in your life a yeah. solid male figure can we extrapolate from that, that that your dad was not a figure for you in your life and if that was yeah. the case 
can you just speak to the men in the house for a moment? Because this, I mean, you guys know how much of a burden and passion this is for me. I love being a dad. And, and these folks know that if I wasn't a, a pastor, I know that I would be coaching sports. Because I just think the male figure, like the female figure, is so critical in the life of a child. Can, can you speak to that oh, for a moment? What, oh, what was that like for you? And what would you say to the men in the house? I mean, what to speak. I actually love talking about it just because looking in reverse, I understand the importance of a father in the kid's life or a male figure. Uh, but looking back, him and my mother separated back in 84. Uh, but coming up, I always looked at my brother as being my father. And so that's so much, so much behavior was... Uh, was mimic behind him, you know, saying, and just me thinking this how I was supposed to go. Uh, I, I had no uh, understanding up until that point that the father is basically the disciplinarian of the situation or of the household. And so it was my brother up until that point, but Roland was the first guy to kind of interject and say, uh, hey, stop all your managed behavior. And so to be honest with you, I kind of liked it. I liked being disciplined. I liked being guided because I felt I was getting more out of life. I felt like I was improving or I felt like I was listening to somebody uh, who was sending me in the right direction. And uh, even, even towards uh, just men these days, uh, young kids may act out or they may... Um, they might not. They might not do everything you want to when you want them to. And that's just a lack of discipline. That's just a lack of understanding how to discipline yourself. But in overall, kids love it because you feel like you're growing. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you're connected with an individual, especially a man uh, who's elevating you or who or who's making you a better thinker, uh, who's ma- who's making you understand the context of relationships, who's making you more aware of your environment, and to see his benefit, I think kids gravitate towards that because that's why I gravitated towards Roland Smith, and eventually I gravitated to the same type of individual when I went to. Harding, and uh, it, it was just vitally important. But uh, you know, looking back, I don't know what actually took place between my mother and my father. Uh, and I wish he was there throughout that time when I was growing up, because maybe uh, some of the things that took place in my childhood mm-hmm. wouldn't have took place when I was a. Uh, if he was inside my life inside those periods, uh, maybe some of those things wouldn't have you know said happened to me, or, or I wouldn't have went down that road, so to speak. So um, you know. Um, you know, all, all's well, you know, uh, like, like, I don't, I don't harp I don't harp sure. on it, but, sure. uh, just the importance of just, man, if I can just speak to it, you know, just, there's a, it's vital into a kid's development, just in how he respects man, uh, how he operates, how he treats women. Even my perception on women was wrong, uh, growing up because, you know, when you're in the inner city, it's okay out of the friends who can have sex the fastest and, and yeah. who, who can go get the most girls. And that begins to, um, perpetuate throughout your years coming up. So, uh, just my respect with women was totally different or yeah. the understanding of how you're supposed to treat them was totally different because I just didn't have the male figure. Now, I want, I want to speak to the discipline thing for a moment. Then I want to go right to where you're, you're going right there with the, the peer pressure and, the, and the, the inner city friends that you hung out with. But you just said something incredibly profound. You just said children love it. And he was talking about discipline. I have said many, many times the most unhappy children are those who are undisciplined. Yes. Now they won't tell you that <laughs> they will act like they hate discipline, but discipline gives, gives children boundaries. Yes. It gives them guidelines. It, it shows them internally that someone cares for them. So mom, dad, discipline your children in the way of the Lord. The culture will tell you to let them go their own way. Here's a popular psychological term. Let them (laughs) self-actualize. Think about that. (laughs) 
We're their parents. And we're called to be their parents over being their friends. There will come a day to be their friend. Come on now. Come on. Come on. So, so I love that the way you said it. They love it. They really do love. Again, I will say it one more time. Undisciplined children are miserable, unhappy children. They won't tell you that and they might not know it in the moment. But disciplined children, correctly disciplined in the way of the Lord. Train a child in the way of the Lord. And when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. They will, so training a child, disciplining a child with a biblical worldview is, is one of the most important things you can do. Now, we're in a series called Guardrails. And I want to talk about this and then I want to move towards your career at Ohio State. You've said multiple times now that the, the, the inner city gangs, the people that you hung out with, there was a peer pressure to do the wrong things. But, and, but, it's, but it's right in that culture. Yeah, yeah. And you shot right through that and became one of the most popular people because you, you did all of that. In this series, Guardrails, we're talking about putting guardrails up in our lives to keep us out of trouble, to keep us in the ditch where danger is. What would you say to us today about the importance of friends, who you hang with, um, guardrails in the sense of that peer pressure? Yeah, and um, I heard it more than a few times when I was incarcerated, and I heard it when I was out of prison, but I'm pretty sure a lot of you heard it, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And, um, wow. Tweet that. <laughs> and, and give him credit for it. Show me your friends and I'll, and I'll show, show you your future. future. Yes, and, uh, but just even when I look back on it, uh, the guys or the friends who were inside my life at that point, there's a guy who's still doing 18 years from we were, when we were kids. And um, he had got incarcerated for a mistake that he's made, but I was also in the same activity. You know, there was just, uh, there was no direction. Sometimes when you're young, you have no direction or no goals or uh, no ambition of where you want to be or what you yeah. want to become. Uh, you just kind of like living life like it's the wild, wild west, mm. you know. Um, even in that moment, I didn't have an understanding of what character was or how it applied to my environment. You know what I mean? So every day we get up and just, you know, say react and go do and, and do do what's do what's on your mind and do what you feel, you know. And I just wish I would have had some of that. Like a mother can only teach a kid so much. She can she was at work all day so she can provide and mm. she can clothe and she can love and things like that. But, you know, it comes from that father or that big brother to kinda of like add the like I say, add the discipline or add the structure in the guy's uh in the guy's life. Uh, so he can progress and eventually become a man. But, you know, I, I wish I would have just had the understanding of how to uh, just set boundaries based upon where I was going. You know, mm-hmm. even though I was playing football and having success, I had no boundaries in regards to character and how you grow as a man or individual. Or when I when I came to, um, like, when I would go to Bible studies, or not Bible studies, when I would go to church on Sunday, it was more out of, out of routine instead of purpose. There was no purpose to it. You know, I, I couldn't understand or I wasn't learning with purpose. It was like, okay, my mother's going to say, Maurice, get up and go to church. So I would go to church to appease her, but not to mm-hmm. learn. And I wish I would have uh, implemented some of that early on. Your mother sounds like a special woman. Yeah, super. How is she? Is she still alive? How's she doing yeah, today? Yes, um, yeah, she's still alive. Luckily, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, she's she just wonderful. Um, still in Ohio. Still in Ohio. It's, it's uh, when I look back on it, sometimes sometimes it's hard to believe that throughout the mistakes that my brothers made, both of them, and even myself. 
how she just consistently stuck by. And when you look at it as a parent now, how easy it is just to give up and say, hey, you know, you guys are 18, you go ahead and get in trouble, or how I would see somebody else uh, go through a struggle and they wouldn't have the support of my mother, I start to understand it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, saying because once you turn 18 and, you know, once you're off into the world and once you're a young man, uh, you know, a lot of parents feel their kids to just shoulder them, pro- shoulder them those problems that yeah. themselves that they create. And uh, she wasn't like that uh, continuously. She would support me and she would always uh, criticize me for the bad behavior that was going on in my life but it was like uh you know you're a young man you feel like you're grown no one can tell you anything uh but it was you know it wasn't until i was locked up that you know so you kind of wish that you listen to your mother and mm. the and you know just how she's telling you how you choose your friends and the people who are around you and the things you're doing and hanging out getting drunk all night and stumbling in and you know your mother just saying like hey you're not supposed to be living your life like that or you need some help and you know i just had too much pride or too much ego to go uh basically you know send acts for the help that i needed uh but she's wonderful man uh even helped my family when i when i was incarcerated you know saying help to take care of my family and help to take care of my daughter and uh, partially I was ashamed of that because I felt like I was a man and I should be able to do those things myself. But, you know, she's just a wonderful woman still to this day. Uh, every she was morning. highlighted in the 30 for 30, wasn't she? Yes. She yeah. Was yeah. So uh, every day sends me a good morning text and how you doing and, and just, you know, it's always good to hear from her. What's her name? Uh, Michelle Claret. Michelle? Yes. So he said a couple things. I see a lot of young people in here. He said, listen to your mother. <laughs> listen to your mother and... and uh, Praise God for Miss Claret and praise, praise God for all the mothers. We have some amazing mothers, single mothers. I mean, wow, what you guys do. And, and she, she planted seeds in your life yes. that I believe are, are starting to bear fruit now. Okay, let's fast forward a little bit. You switched over to that other school, found discipline. You started excelling at football. Uh, I, I don't know a ton about Ohio State football, except that I watch it, and it's a fantastic football program, one of the best in the nation. And this guy was one of the best running backs to ever go through Ohio State. I, I've heard from people that you and, and Coach Trussell, y'all were like bigger than the governor in Ohio. <laughs> More popular than the governor. I mean, the state was just so impacted by you and Coach Trussell. I know y'all are, y'all are still friends today. Um, take us from, you know, going into the high school, you're doing well. Take us into Ohio State and, and talk to us about where you started to crash, where you started to burn, what landed you in prison, etc. Okay, so when I, uh, when I take off to school, I graduate early. And I, I get down to school now. There's no, um, there's no distractions at this point. I don't have interest in, you know, partying, messing with women, or doing anything extra, extracurricular. You don't. No, because uh, throughout high school, I had been focused uh, with Mr. Roland Smith, kind of put me in the right, in a, in a proper program. So when I go to college, the same thing is in place. I had won every award that you can possibly win. Uh, and so when I was on campus, that's that's the kind of uh, system I was in, you know. So I get down to campus, everything's fine. I'm competing for the starting job coming in the preseason. And I end up winning the starting job. So when I go on the field, the first game that we all have, I ran for 175 yards and four touchdowns. Come on. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> four touchdowns, 175 yards. Yes. And so um, that would be the equivalent if uh, 
I don't know if this is Duke or North Carolina territory. He keeps going there. <laughs> so I would, I would say if a North Carolina basketball player scored 40 points in his first game, he was, if he was a freshman. Kind of like Parker went off last night. <laughs> kind of like Parker went off last night. <laughs> My Carolina people are giving me that look. He keeps bringing it up, not me. All right, go ahead. Yeah, it would be like that. Go ahead. <laughs> So, um, so things, you know, things start to sprout. And so I went on and I had a bunch of success as a freshman, uh, but I didn't see it now. But in retrospect, it's very clear. The same guys who I grew up with, the same guys from my neighborhood, uh, they were of age now. And I grew up in a neighborhood with probably about 30 or 40 guys, you know, sitting all around the same age. We were all within five years of each other. So these guys actually moved down to Columbus and they was around me all the time. So they would be, you know, saying doing whatever they did in the street throughout the day. But on the weekends or at night, I would hang out with these guys. And this is all through my freshman season. So I lost focus inside the season, but I was still having success on the football field. But, you know, I ended up switching my classes and, and just taking more relaxadaisical classes and all the teachers who would kind of like take it easy on you. And so I was basically like setting myself up for failure, but I didn't really see it. So, excuse me, so we go through the season, uh, we end up winning the championship, but all these habits are all this uh, bad behavior that I have basically implemented in my life, going to nightclubs or, <clears throat> excuse me, going to nightclubs. Uh, whenever when, when a rapper would come into town, i go hang out with these guys and go to their shows and be backstage. And, you know, all these things were fun to me at the time. And also at the same time, uh, LeBron was taking off, and Akron and uh, Youngstown are very close together. They were, they, were, they were within a half an hour of each other, and so throughout that period, we were real close. Uh, you and LeBron James. Yeah, but it's it's, uh, it's easy to see, like, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Mm. The same guys that he have in his life right now were still there, but when we would go party, he wasn't drinking, he wasn't into all the activity I was in. The guys that I had around me, we would party and we would do everything that, you know, saying we would want to do, very irresponsible. And uh, kind of like when I was in prison, it, it was when I was in prison, when I looked at it, I was like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? It, it was kind of clear as day. They were setting him up to succeed. The guys around me, I was allowing, I, my expectations myself were so low yeah. that I was allowing this behavior to take place. So um, fast forward to my sophomore season, which would be my sophomore season, I had an NCAA investigation come down. And uh, basically they found, me, they found violations and they suspended me for the season. And when they suspended me, um, I didn't have any interest in school. My only interest in school was to play football. Uh -huh. And so all my classes were motivated just basically to play football. So uh, now that I'm away from football, I don't feel any purpose or any meaning to go to school. So uh, I'm also feeling depressed and stressed out because football's not in my life anymore. I've put so much into this game just for the purpose of, uh, you know, wanting to go to the NFL. I want to take care of myself. And so I slipped up or I, I started to do more of what I had been doing as partying. So the violations that came down and you had to stop playing? Violations came down and stopped playing. For how long? The season. The season. So, sophomore year. Sophomore year. So throughout the season, I'm in the nightclubs. You know, I would watch the football games or the highlights. Uh, I mean, I would watch the football games in the afternoon. And every time I watched it, I would get become stressed and depressed that I, I wasn't out there playing. So uh, Ohio State has 105,000 fans. So that, uh, fame is intoxicating. You know what I'm saying? You can become um, you can become drunk off of people telling you like you're good, you're the best, or people cheering for you all the time. And so I didn't realize that I was going inside these nightclubs trying to replace that feeling. You know, and I was going wow. there and I'm getting drunk and getting drunk leads to pills and the pills lead to weed and the weed leads to everything else. And so it became a cycle. So I'm partying Wednesday through Sunday. I'm beginning to uh, hustle back in the streets because when I was coming up, like I just want to be, I, I want to be in the street life. And uh, everything in my mind outside of being a football player 
in my head, I really believe that I was a gangster. I'm a, I'm a gangster. I'm a, I'm a guy who lives and runs in the street, and I'm a guy who needs to be, again, there's a gangster amongst his friends. So I start living in the street life, and uh, excuse me. And in the process of that, you know, I mean, I almost losing my life three times. Uh, and on the third time was when I got up and uh, took off to California. And I said, you know what, I'm getting away from this thing. I don't want to be involved in this anymore. Let me head out to California. And when I go out to California, I didn't realize that my habits and the same thing that I was in Ohio doing, it followed me out they there. They follow you. You can't run from your stuff. <clears throat> you can't run from yourself. Yeah. And so um, when I got to California, now the culture is different. Southern California, Los Angeles, California. Um, you can party Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about yeah. you can do that in in uh, Ohio too. Not like L.A. <laughs> <laughs> Not like L.A. It's different, eh? And you 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 just went headstrong into yeah, it. But I didn't know it though, because you know when you go into a culture where it's okay to be intoxicated, smoking weed at twelve in the afternoon, it doesn't seem abnormal. You know, but I was also hiding, you know, saying when I'm in California, you know, a movie star can walk by, nobody cares. So Maurice Claret was able to hide and become a junkie out in California. And I didn't call myself a junkie, I just called myself a guy who parties to kind of mask it for myself. But this is everyday activity, you know, so you're getting high, you're getting drunk. And are you still thinking that next year you're going back to play football at this point in time? I, did, I, I thought of it, but the drugs would make me escape it because I realized the uphill battle I had. You know, I realized that I wasn't playing for that season. No, I had to sit out two seasons because you can't go into your junior, uh, unlike basketball. So I had to sit out two seasons. So the stress and depression was just getting to me. And so, like, I would get up and I'd work and I'd go run on the treadmill or go run on the beach. And I would do these things um, just out of routine, but I wasn't really trained. I wasn't training with a purpose. I wasn't getting after it. Uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't just serious with myself, you know what I'm saying? But to kind of fast forward through that, so those two years have passed, and now I'm, el I'm, eligible, el uh, I'm eligible to go to the combine. When it's time for me to go to the combine, I perform horribly. And the combine is basically, uh, some of you all seen it on TV, where you run, you jump, and you basically test to see where your skill level is at. And, and there was huge expectations, huge yes. expectations yeah. for Maurice Claret coming back into the combine and, and doing all the drills that they do to, to yes. check your Evaluation. NFL yeah. eligibility. And so you went into that, and that, that didn't turn out. Yeah, no, I went into it, and I basically, you know, just bombed out. You know, at, at best, I was probably like a guy who ran a 4 five, five forty. And uh, when I went to the combine, I ran a 4-7 and a 4-8. And that's Who would like to run a 4-8 sober? <laughs> <laughs> He's running it after being in L.A. Yeah. partying all the time. Um, wow. And, and so, you know, those things happened. Then, um, you know, then, you know, think how things got off track. Uh, so then, you know, without, let me fast forward. Then Denver luckily drafts me, but when they draft me, even I, even then when they draft me, I didn't even want to go uh, because internally I knew I wasn't prepared. And so when I got to Denver, you know, uh, the biggest sign of somebody being unprepared is when they complain a whole lot. And, you know, I got there and I just started complaining about everything, and I was just complaining. I don't want to go to practice in the morning. I don't want to run this formation, or uh, the you know, I'm blaming the coach. I'm blaming the players. Coach Shanahan. Coach Shanahan took a time. risk on you. Took yes. A big risk on you. Yes. Took some heat for it. It took a whole lot of heat forward, and basically I uh, came throughout the program and let him down. And so it came a time he was like, you know what, uh, we've tried to get you help. We've tried to put these things in place for you, uh, but, you know, saying you're basically a disruption or a distraction to the team, so they let me go. And in that time, I had always uh, – I had been let down before, but I never was told I wasn't good enough to play football. Mm. And so I went back to California. I said, you know what, let me erase this thing and let me go back to Ohio. 
you know, let me get away from this whole party life. Let me get away from these drugs. Let me get away from everything. So I come back to Ohio. And at this time, it was around that time, me and Ashley had got together. And uh, when I'm back here, I'm, I'm focused. It's probably like two or three weeks in the process. I'm real focused on what I'm doing. I'm going to train. I reconnect with Coach Trust. I'm saying, hey, Coach Trust, let me get myself back together. And at that time, I had NFL Europe. And he said, okay, <clears throat> excuse me, at the beginning of December, I'm going to send you off to NFL Europe. And you go over there and play for a year, then you come back. So... Uh, just like anything else, an idle mind is a devil's playground. So I didn't know what's how to, that, what's that again. An, uh, an idle mind is a devil's playground. An idle mind is a devil's playground. Man, you're getting some good stuff today, church. An idle mind is the devil's playground. Yes. And, wow. And the, the the biggest thing is I didn't know how to spend my free time. So I would um, I would work out in the morning. I would have so many hours throughout the day to just basically do nothing. And in the process of this thing, now I'm cut from the Broncos. I was too prideful to go get a job. I was too prideful to go out and reach out to somebody uh, because a couple times prior to that, I had been turned away. So what happened, the same guys who I uh, was uh, hustling with and being back in the streets, these guys came back into my life because I had no direction where I was going. You know, I just had nothing. I was just kind of sitting around. And Ashley, she was finishing up at school around that time. And, um, you know, these guys would just come in, and they would begin to hang out. And one thing led to another. Now I'm back in the streets doing the same thing. And so that, that took place about September uh, throughout the end of the year, and it was December 31st, 2005, uh, that I had a robbery charge. And I was in uh, downtown Columbus. Uh, I got, <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, catch a robbery charge. And in that time, it was just like um, everything or all the failures that I had had in my life, I kind of just like came to a point. And it was uh, it was a little bit after that time that I found I actually was pregnant, so I'm dealing with uh, a new pregnancy and the stress of not knowing like if I'll be here or if I can take care of a child. And, and just that whole situation for me was like, um, it was depressing. So you Ashley, <clears throat> you've been with him before the life change. Yes. She saw you through all of that. Yes. Give it up for Ashley. Yeah. Ashley, would you stand? Would you please stand? Please. She said no. She said yeah. no. <laughs> Okay. I love it. So fast forward to the to the big arrest that splattered all over national television. That was the second arrest. The second one where they pulled all the guns out of the car. That's the one that sent you in. Yeah, that, that, one, that was period. yeah, that was about eight months from my first arrest and uh that that arrest was um I basically got caught making a U-turn in the middle of the street, and I had guns with me. And uh, I, I was going on a high-speed chase, and I knew, you know, if they looked inside the car, they would see the guns. And uh, it was around that time, and even uh, if somebody, if some, some people, if some of the people seeing the film, like it felt like in that moment, I just didn't want to live anymore. You know, I just was like, you know what, I'm tired. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of everything. And uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going on a high-speed chase, and. I remember calling my uh, Ashley, my mother. That's like, you know, I'm about to go to jail, mm. and just feeling real depressed and stressed inside that moment. But to make a long story short, they blew out the tires, and you know, they took me out of the car and tased me, and and kind of roughed me up. And then, you know, at that point, I'm incarcerated. Okay. So for the sake of time, I could sit here and talk to you all day long, and we all are right. going to do it all day long because we got a lot of services. <laughs> <laughs> but for this for this particular service, I, I, um, that was. Some people would say the beginning of the end, but the truth is you went to prison and it became the beginning of the beginning, the beginning of a new Maurice Claret. Take us behind bars. You were there four years. Yes. Um, you went in there kind of out of shape. Yes. You came out of there physically in shape and spiritually 
in shape. Would you just walk us through uh, that whole new development, God showing up and doing a great thing in jail in your life? Yeah, uh, the first guy I would kind of give credit to was uh, Kelecon. No, let me rewind it. My first part of my incarceration, I was locked down for seven months for 23 hours out the day. So for, yeah, from like January to July, I think July, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm incarcerated at 23 hours out the day. So a lot of that, the, the, a lot of clarity or a lot of seeds uh, began to get planted. And I remember reading one book that it kind of like, um, kind of sent me in the right direction. It was uh, James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. As was, a man thinking. Yeah, as a man thinking, so shall he become. And I never really realized how uh, your thoughts and your behavior, how, how you can control your thoughts, which, which can eventually control your behavior. The things that you think about, you continuously come, the seeds that you plant in your mind, these things become you, the people you're around, the things that you come in contact, the things you complain about, all these things become a part of your life. And so uh, also was in uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastics mm -hmm. real well. You know what I mean? Proverbs is... Uh, understanding your own behavior, awareness, and Ecclesiastics, basically from the worldly way of living things. And I was uh, just investigating my own behavior myself and how much, like, I was out of line with the scripture, basically. Uh, I also had about seven or eight women who would send me scriptures every day and things of that nature. Uh, these were all women. I called them my golden girls. It was uh, about, yeah, eight women, eight senior citizens, rather. Wow. Uh, yeah, they used to write how me How beautiful weekly. is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when I became incarcerated, there was a guy by the name of Kella Conte, and he had set me down. And uh, he was actually, uh, the, his father was the chief of Sierra Leone, but he came to um, uh, Ohio. He became a warden and eventually built himself up. So um, he said, I have a son your age, and if my son was in this exact situation, I want somebody to help him out. So he said, I'll give you the coursework. I'll give you an African studies course. I'll give you um, uh, anger management, uh, substance and drug abuse. Uh, and I'll give you all these courses to repair yourself. And if you do everything that you're supposed to do, you know what I'm saying, basically I'll, I'll vow to let you out because I had a seven and a half year sentence. I'm really supposed to be locked up right now. So, wow. um, yeah, so uh, in that process, he set me inside of a housing unit with a guy by the name of Ed Swagger. And Ed was an ex-Navy SEAL. And uh, me and Ed, Ed would come, he would come over early. And uh, he said, hey, Maurice, let's work out. I was 275 pounds. I was uh, like really out of shape, real fat. And um, and so me and Ed would start working out, but also Ed would give me these daily breads and he would start talking to me. And uh, just the process of Ed helping me grow, I used to gravitate towards him. And so Ed was uh, very well read. I called him uh, the, like the physical version of Google. Anything you ask him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about my man. He had he had answers for everything. And so I, I was sitting, I would talk to him. And since he used to read so much. He used to just help me grow when he would like uh, kind of like nurture me in a mental way, in a, from a mental perspective. And uh, throughout that time, I would get up in the morning, I would work out with him, and just, it just constantly began to roll over and go over and go over. Uh, and just things just started to clean up in my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I became, I, I became, reading became fun. You know what I'm saying? Educating myself became fun. I used to ask myself, uh, what would I do if mm -hmm. I wasn't... Um, if I wasn't a football player and I started to learn about business. So uh, anything I can get my hands on in regards to business, I used to love to study from Warren Buffett. Uh, mm. I used to find his teacher. His teacher was actually Benjamin Graham. And I would read, uh, I would study basically uh, Benjamin Graham's The Intelligent Investor. I would grab books on spirituality, uh, psychology, and everything I can get my hands on. Uh, and I just became like just a different individual, you know, saying things that like grabbed my attention before, music, people, 
excuse me, our activities inside of prison that would normally attract like uh, the old Maurice Claret just didn't make sense to me anymore. Mm. And I would see just the younger guys inside of prison that they would feel the same way. They would start to gravitate towards me and I would be able to give them books and we would have dialogue, right? And so my life started to change. My brain just started to change. And it was easy to have, it was, it was easy at some point in prison. It was easy because I was growing. It felt like I was living life and I felt like I was just experiencing life just uh, in the way I should be outside of sports, outside of fame and outside right. of uh, the worldly way of living things and um you know saying those things eventually led to me uh uh getting out early uh because you, you might not say this but because he was a stellar inmate yeah. and they made that clear on the 30 for 30 i mean you you did your time in an incredible upstanding way yeah, i mean but it, i mean it's to say you know um tv depicts prison in the wrong way i believe you know prison is just it, it isn't like this crazy uh place if you come inside of the institution, it's kind of like a, it's basically like college, college for men who misbehave. And if you come and see, <laughs> yeah, I've been in prison. I never really looked at it that way, but that's a positive spin on it. It's college for men who misbehave and women, I guess. Yeah. you lovely women at NCCIW. Yeah. You're in college, yeah. ladies. Ladies at NCCIW, you're in college. Act like this man in prison. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, but uh, there were there was guys, you know, saying just like there was a Roland Smith, uh, just like there was a Jim Trussell at Ohio State, and just mm. like there was people in my life, Kelly Conte, Ed Swagger, Michael Wagner, uh, Torres Hearns. These guys inside of uh, inside of prison were teaching me. You know what I'm saying? And uh, these guys who I would have dialogue with or who would have fellowship with. And even though we were – the prison just was the place that our behavior sent us. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when we got to prison, we were, we were different individuals because you don't have the drugs. You don't have the women. You don't have everything in the worldly sense that would distract you. So you're actually growing. You don't, you don't have all these chemicals in your system. You don't have um, – you, you just don't have the world. You know what yeah. I mean? So you're becoming a better individual. And in that process, you know, I mean, uh, it, it was it was at that time, you know, I just became a better individual uh, for the sake of being a better father, uh, being a better friend or being just just somebody in the community. I started to realize uh, the platform I had with football. And so when I was when I was incarcerated, I would get letters from kids saying, hey, I used to look up to you. You know, said, I hope you get yourself together. Mm. I hope you go out here and put your life back on track. And you would just have so many letters or just so many people would show you uh, that you affected them in some sort of way. And I started to realize myself that. I was selfish. You know, I didn't realize my gifts were supposed to uh, serve another individual or to help make my life better, to help my family or to help other people out. And so everything with me was all about like, okay, how can I play football to get a bunch of things so I can eventually one day be on MTV Cribs or something? Yeah. You know, that was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. that was my goal. Yeah, yeah. Keeping it real, that was my goal. Yeah. I always wanted to be on Cribs. Yeah. <laughs> well... You might not be on cribs, but you're in a great place right now. Yeah. You're you're a fine, fine man of God, and um, and in and in my opinion, um, the journey that you went through is not good. But in my opinion, you're in a far better place now, with the platform that you have for God, changing a life and giving a life meaning and purpose and hope. Than you probably would have ever experienced if you had gotten on the cribs. Um, <laughs> could you could you just what would you say to us in wrapping up? What would you what would you say to this this community today on 
um, your story? What's it, what's it like to be you now? And um, any final closing words you'd like to share? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for time reasons. I thought I was no, going. no, we're fine. No, I'm sorry. Um, no, uh, more than anything, um, and this, this is speaking more, the first thing that came to my mind uh, was more for a male perspective, you know, saying just understanding uh, one, the importance of fatherhood and, and being a father to your child and not kind of let the TV, social media, or the friends sort of run their life. I've seen so many kids uh, misguided or misdirected uh, by just popular culture. You know, said also making sure they're in the house of the Lord and just also, I mean, I, I was uh, having so much fun when I sit here listening to y'all, just the way y'all certainly, just the way y'all worship. You know, yeah. I, I started to get pumped up and I said, yeah. I got to calm down because I can't do this for six services. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> You'll be worn out tomorrow, but you can do it. I got to stop right there. And I did not tell him to say this. He's speaking to men and he says, get in the house of the Lord. And I just want to say that as I'm sitting here today and I'm looking out at you and my wife whispered it to me when we were singing earlier, she said, there's a lot more men here today. And men, I'm glad you're here today. And some of you men are here all the time, but the men who are here today, you came just for this way to go, but we're here every Sunday and you need to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm glad you're here, but I hope this would be a way for you to get disciplined in taking your family or yourself and leading in the way of the Lord. And it's so important. And if it's not this church, that's cool. There's lots of churches on every corner. Just go find a church where you can connect with that pastor and you can let God lead you so that you can lead yourself and you can lead your family. Amen, church. So we'd love, we'd love to have you every Sunday here. Well, we got to wrap up. It's about this time every Sunday when I'm preaching and I realize, ooh, the cars are going to start coming to the next service and children's ministry leaders will kill me if I go over too long and parking lot attendants get frustrated because their job gets a lot harder. But this has been good, amen? <laughs> I didn't hear that, but I'm just going to keep moving on. <laughs> this has been good. Amen. Yeah. This is how I'd wrap it up. And then I'm going to pray. You heard a lot today about the importance of men being men of God. You heard a lot today about the importance of who you hang with. Parents, teach your children this. It makes a huge difference, which is, again, connecting a dot here. That's why it's so important to be in the house of the Lord every Sunday. The Bible says in Hebrews, let us not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Right. So that helps with the peer pressure that student ministries. Oh, my Lord. Get your students sixth through twelfth grade into the access ministry. Get them around other teenagers who are pursuing Christ. Because I don't know the answer to this, but I am going to ask you this. Like when I look back on my story, three of my five closest running buddies, three of them are, are dead. And the other two are doing 20 plus years in the state penitentiary. This is not the normal story. And you sitting here being used by God, unfortunately, is not the normal story. Can you just very quickly? And again, I don't know the answer to this. What, what's those that you ran with? What's their story now? I tell you, um, just quickly, just one got probably buried probably a month and a half ago. 
Um, like I said, my one guy when we were kids, he's still doing 18 years. Uh, another one was just kind of in the streets or in jail or, or living in that same cycle. And I'm, I'm just living proof. You know, I, I, like I said, when I turn my life to the Lord, and even though every day, uh, I say I say the same thing, different day, same discipline. Mm. Uh, even though every day isn't uh, pr- as productive as I, as I would like it to be, I know when my life is rooted in the Lord, when it's rooted in Proverbs, when it's rooted in Ecclesiastics, or when it's rooted in something, uh, something inside of God's Word, yeah. I understand how my life turns out. Yeah. There's no secret. Um, and it's no secret why I'm here. It's no secret how it happens. And uh, mm. But, you know, so just to answer your question, you know, all those guys still live in that same cycle, dead or in jail. So young person, young person, young person. Anybody on the other side of that screen, anywhere, listen to me. Do not romanticize the Maurice Claret story. Do not romanticize my story. Don't think, well, I can go down that road and one day I can turn it around and make something out of my life. Because the odds are against you. You you will likely end up dead. Or doing many, many years in prison. I want to pray for us. I just want to say to, to everybody here. Your story. Can be just as powerful. And used of God as Maurice Claret's story. I think of those men you said that poured into you. Where would you be today? If those men didn't pour into you. Men, who are you pouring into? Might just be your family. Hey, that can be enough right now, right? Who are you leading? Who are you? I think of those wonderful senior citizen women. Would you call them the, the golden girls? The golden girls. <laughs> the golden girls. Just writing him verses of scripture. Women, who are you pouring into? Who are you, who are you blessing? Who are you helping along the way? We're... We're a community of faith. We're a family. And we need one another. And I hope you've been inspired today. I hope your life will be set on a new trajectory. I hope you'll understand the importance of putting up guardrails in your lives in terms of friends and sex and drugs. All those topics we've been talking about every Sunday in this series. And we've got a few more left. But man, I praise God for you. Thank you for coming from Ohio to North Carolina. Thank you, Ashley and Richard and the others for coming and being with us today. Let's pray and then let's, let's just sing one more song. Try not to leave. Try not to squelch the spirit and, and, and leave. If you've got to go to the bathroom, that's fine. I understand that. Come on back. We're going to just sing one more song. And it's a song that really has become one of our favorites here recently. And it's a song that really puts into perspective what's happened in his life, what's happened in my life, what's happened in so many of your lives. And maybe what needs to happen for many of you today, maybe for the first time. So let's pray together and let's surrender our lives to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for uh, what you're doing here today. God, I thank you for your spirit that we know is not only moving here at Central Campus, but it's really moving throughout all the campuses today. Father, I want to thank you that Your Holy Spirit is ministering to us as it is ministered to Maurice. God, thank you for this great man of God. Thank you for his faith. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his story. Thank you, God, that you used the unfortunate circumstances of his life to connect his story to your story. And God, in that beautiful intersection, you have brought forth a great man of God, a great man who... Is using his life now as a platform for the goodness of God and the importance of putting up guardrails. 
Lord, it would be so irresponsible of me if I would just move on in this moment and not give others the chance to to be saved, to be redeemed, to be changed by the love of God. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, if you're here today and there's sin in your life that you need to confess and be forgiven of, if you're here today and your life is a mess, I want you to know that God wants to use your mess for his message. So if that is you today and you want to just open up your heart, you want to give your life to Christ maybe for the first time or the tenth time. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you just to raise your hand right now, just right where you are at all of our campuses. Just raise your hand up. Just lift it up. Lift it up. Yeah. Praise God. Keep them up. I see them. Father, I pray for those who are here and those who are at the campuses who in this very moment, they're doing business with you. In this very moment, it's not about Maurice. It's not about Benji. It's about you, Jesus. And your power to redeem and take the ruins of our lives and build something beautiful. Father, these your children have raised their hand. They've lifted it to you. In this moment of silence, Lord, we commune with you. We pray to you. So just share what's on your heart to God right now. Just in your own words, in your own heart, in your own mind, share with Christ. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Redeem us. Save us. From this day forward, we're going to follow you to the best of our ability. Thank you for Maurice Claret. Thank you for saving him, Lord. Thank you for bringing him to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, give it up to him. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. May God bless you and thank you for being a part of our church family.